So uh, today in our sermon that Eric's written for me, uh, we're picking up in chapter 15 as we continue the sermon series through the Gospel of John. We've been reading about the conversations Jesus had with his disciples the night before he died. He has told them that he will be departing them soon, but that they will continue his work by the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit, whom he and the Father will send after his departure. Now, the idea that the disciples would continue to be productive after his departure still seemed far-fetched. There seems to be a very real concern that this kingdom movement that Jesus began would wither and die without him. But Jesus assures his disciples that they will continue to be fruitful, and he does so by using a helpful image from nature. Let's look at John 15:1 through 17 where Jesus says he is the true vine. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you, so that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another." Heavenly Father, Lord, I just pray that uh, you would be able to use me uh, to speak these words, Lord, in the way that you want to convey them to us. Open our hearts and our minds, Lord, to understand your holy word and your Holy Spirit that's in us, Lord. Help us to uh, understand and just live these, these things, Lord. Help us to see your great love for us and how we can be... Uh, useful to you, Lord, through your Holy Spirit as we abide in you. ask this in Jesus' name. Uh, there's a sermon outline on uh, in the bulletin. So the big idea in today's uh, sermon is um, that by drawing deeply on Christ's love for us, we bear fruit for God's glory 
by lovingly obeying his commands, thus proving our faith. We're going to first look at the main point behind the vine picture, and then we will consider what it means to abide in Christ before returning to all the implications of the vine picture. So the main point of the vine picture is bearing fruit by abiding in Christ. Jesus lays out the vine picture about as clearly as possible in verse 5, saying, I am the vine, you are the branches. Jesus depicts himself as the main vine to which all roots lead and from which all branches grow outward. And he describes each individual believer as a branch or a vine tendril from which the clusters of grapes would grow. That is the image that Jesus presents for his disciples. Um, Laura had the uh, branches up there and, and was noting that, you know, if a branch is cut from the vine, it's, it's not going to do anything. I've got uh, a lot of us around here have vines growing on our trees. Uh, if you cut it off from the ground, it, it dies. We need to be connected to Jesus to accomplish anything. The image of a vine or vineyard was commonly used in the Old Testament to describe Israel. We saw in our Old Testament reading from Ezekiel 15 that the prophet compared God's people to the branches of a vine. Also, Isaiah 5 describes Israel as a vineyard that God planted and prepared, but it failed to produce the good fruit he desired. It is with these images in mind that Jesus calls himself the true vine. He is able to produce the good fruit that God desired his people to produce. Jesus does this uh, not only in his own life, but also by pouring out his life-giving power into his people so that we bear good fruit. This is the main point of the vine picture in John 15. The branches are designed to bear good fruit, and they can only bear such fruit by being connected to the vine. We who follow Jesus can only bear good fruit by abiding in Jesus. More than anything else, this is what Jesus teaches in this passage. If you're you know, witnessing to somebody, um, you know, Tim has often said that you know, it's not you that's changing their hearts. It's, it's the Holy Spirit in you. It's God working on their heart that changes them. So. There are certainly more implications and applications of this idea that he mentions. We haven't mentioned the Father's work of pruning or the burning of fruitless branches, but we'll come back to those later. For now, let's consider what Jesus means by saying we must abide in him. What does it mean to abide in him? This word abide occurs ten times between verses 4 to 10. So clearly, it is very important for understanding what Jesus is saying here. But like the word helper in last week's sermon, this word abide is somewhat difficult to translate. The other English word commonly used to translate this idea is remain. If you were part of Vacation Bible School last year, verse 9 was one of our songs and memory verses. As the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. The problem with understanding what it means to abide or remain in Jesus is that these words sound so different to us. Abide sounds mystical and very pious. It sounds really deep when someone says, I'm just trying to abide in Jesus. Really abide, you know? It may sound deep, but it can come across as nonsense. But the remain sounds passive, like you're telling your dog to stay. Remaining makes us think of staying put and feels like the absence of growth and fruitfulness. Both abide and remain have their problems, so Eric wants to suggest three examples of the kind of abiding and remaining Jesus has in mind. First, 
As the flight attendants on an airplane tell you, in the event of a drop in cabin pressure, masks will fall from the ceiling. You want to abide in that oxygen and remain in that mask because it gives you life. Second, a loyal soldier keeping watch remains at his post, obeying his leader. While he may be stationary, he is actively engaged in his mission. And the third example, a wife can abide in her husband's love by remaining faithful and devoted to him. Her abiding in that relationship is very practical, as day by day she loves him and is loved by him. So those three pictures hopefully help us better understand what Jesus means by abiding in him, especially when we consider his explanation in verse 10. Jesus says, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. At first it seems to say like abiding in Jesus is doing what he says so that we don't lose his love. But then Jesus compares our abiding in him to how he abides in his Father's love. Thinking back to our three pictures, Jesus certainly relied on his Father's love like we would rely on an oxygen mask to breathe. Jesus is the Father's beloved Son, and that love strengthened and comforted Jesus as he fulfilled his mission. Jesus understood that he was sent by his Father to save his people, and he remained steadfast to that mission, like the watchman remaining his post. In everything he did, Jesus knew his Father's faithful love for him, wanting to love him in return by obeying his good commands. So, yes, abiding in Jesus involves obeying his ethical commands to love one another, as we see in verses 12 and 17. But our obedience flows out of our believing Christ's love for us and trusting the promises he makes to us in word. J.C. Ryle, a 19th century pastor in England, described abiding in Christ along those lines, writing, to abide in Christ means to keep up a habit of constant, close communion with Him, to be always leaning on Him, resting on Him, pouring out our hearts to Him, and using Him as a fountain, our fountain of life and strength, as our chief companion and best friend. Is that not how Jesus viewed His relationship with the Father? Obedience flows from trust and mutual love. And that relationship brings joy to both parties, as Jesus describes in verses 11. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. When we abide in Christ, we find joy in His love and salvation He worked so hard to secure for us. To ensure that we fully understand the treasure of His love, He gives three examples of His great love for them in verses 12 through 16. First, he tells them the extent of his love by alluding to his impending death in verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. There are no greater expressions of love than what Jesus did for us. Think about that. There is no better way for Jesus to show how much he loves us than by dying for us. He didn't hem and haw or wonder over how to express his love. In his wisdom, he chose the greatest possible expression of love when it came to loving us, and he met our greatest need. 
Second, he calls his disciples friends instead of servants. We typically distinguish servants as those who are under authority, while friends are those people who are on the same level as us. But that cannot be correct because we are still under Christ's authority. So the distinction Jesus makes is that, unlike servants who are required to do as they're told, we are called friends because he tells us what he is doing. We may not know why God does every last thing, but Jesus does reveal to us God's plan for redeeming his people through his Son. And Jesus is telling his disciples about his impending departure and the Holy Spirit whom he will send to them to continue his kingdom work. The third example of Christ's love for his people is seen in verse 16, where Jesus says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you. The disciples should not think that they earned their friendship with Jesus. They did not discover the secret of God's plan, uncovering the identity of the Messiah. Jesus chose them. He chose to love them and appoint them as his disciples to go and bear fruit. Jesus didn't get stuck with these guys. They, they aren't the best options that he could come up with. He specifically and lovingly chose his original disciples in the same way that he chooses his people today. As we abide in the love of Jesus, we should rejoice in his love for us, and we should joyfully obey his commands out of love for him. But we are not the only ones who experience joy when we abide in his love. Jesus says his joy is in us as well. He experiences joy when we abide in his love just as we are glad when someone we love loves us in return. Jesus delights in seeing his branches bear fruit for his Father's glory. He knows how unfruitful God's people have been in the past, and he rejoices when we bear fruit by abiding in his love. Um, little side note, the, the Sunday school lesson that we've been doing is, is largely related to this same kind of you know, joy that God has in our uh, showing, you know, realizing his love and recognizing it and accepting it. The third uh, point or whatever is fruit flows from our abiding in Christ's love. Our fruitfulness is the main point of the vine picture in John 15, a point we see repeated in verses 2, 8, and 16. Our purpose as branches is to bear fruit, specifically the fruit of obedient faith, which glorifies God, and the fruit of bearing witness for Jesus, that more people might believe in him. We abide in Christ not only to enjoy his love, but to bear fruit that grows out of his love. So let's look at what this passage has to say about how important it is to bear good fruit. First, we see very clearly the Lord desires for all branches to bear good fruit. There is no point in having a branch that is fruitless. If a branch does not bear fruit, it will be cut off and thrown into the fire. This is what we saw also in our Old Testament reading from Ezekiel. The wood of a grapevine is useless for even the simplest function like a peg on the wall to hold your coat or hat. If it doesn't bear fruit, then it will be discarded. All true disciples of Jesus will bear fruit because Jesus has that effect on all his people. This does not mean that all disciples will bear the same amount of fruit or the same exact type of fruit. But all believers of Jesus will bear the fruit of faith and obedience. Second, we see that it is possible to seem like part of the vine without bearing fruit. We see that in verse 2, where it says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away. 
This does not mean that people can lose their salvation. Rather, it means that some people make themselves part of the family of God without actually believing in Jesus. In the Old Testament, many people were Israelites who didn't have genuine faith in the Lord. Similarly, there are people today in churches who call themselves Christians, but who do not bear fruit of faith in Jesus Christ. They may be in worship regularly, know some Bible information, and even give money, but those are not fruit of saving faith. Trusting Christ's Word and obeying His commands are the evidence of saving faith. Third, we see that even those branches that bear fruit will be pruned by the Father's discipline and care so that they bear even more fruit. If you have a fruit tree or vegetables, plants in your garden, you want them to bear as much fruit as possible. So you prune even the best branches in hopes that they will grow more and more fruit. Similarly, God knows the depths of our sin and how quickly our sinful desires can crowd and grow and crowd out the good fruit. So as one commentator notes, he prunes away whatever is spiritually detrimental, even if they are otherwise good things. In the midst of our suffering, let us pray for God to use those times as pruning, those times of suffering, so that we might bear more good fruit for His glory. Fourth, we see the importance of prayer in bearing fruit. In verses 7 and 16, Jesus restates the promise from John 14, 13 through 14. Whatever we ask in prayer in the name of Jesus, we will be given. This especially applies to the bearing of good fruit. Jesus may not answer our prayers for money, a better job, or better health, but we can be sure that Jesus will answer our prayers to bear more fruit. He will answer prayers for an increased love for Jesus, a growing joy in our salvation, an increased desire to obey His commands, a yearning to know His Word, and a zeal to faithfully share our faith with others. Prayer is one easy way to draw deeply on the love of Jesus, like a branch drawing life from its vine. In conclusion, Jesus lays down His life for us. If we feel fruitless this morning, if we feel we have a faint grasp of Christ's love for us, then drink deeply of Christ's love. Remain there. Abide in the truth of His love for you. Read the Bible and hear the Word of God preached like it is an oxygen mask restoring health and vigor to your soul. Know that Jesus loves you more faithfully than the most devoted, devoted spouse for He laid down His life for you even though you were unfaithful to Him. And as you are filled with joy from His love, know that Jesus rejoices as well when you go and bear fruit for Him and love Him by obeying His commands and proclaiming His good news. May we do so for God's glory, praying for a great harvest of good fruit. Heavenly Lord, Father God, help us to see those around us uh, as they truly are, Lord. Uh, they may seem all put together. They may seem like they need nothing. But every one of us, Lord, needs You. Even those who are already Your people, Lord, need more of You. And so, certainly, Lord, help us to feel a compassion uh, for those who are without You. To getting through the trials of life, Lord, without You is our support and comfort and guide, Lord. Father, we thank You that You are the God 
who loved your creation enough to die for us, Lord, so that we would not have to die. And we just ask that you would put this love in our hearts, that we would share this message and joyously with those around us, that all the people may be in your kingdom, Lord. We say in your prayer, may your kingdom come. And Lord, just pray that that would be so. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.